and welcome to another Christian Faith Radio Hour shortcast. This is David Canfield, and I'm recording this here in Chicago on Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. And in a sense, this podcast kind of continues the previous one, which I did. And to explain, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I saw this question someone had online about whether or not it's right to use this phrase, the only begotten Son of God, which John uses several times in his writings as it's translated in the King James Version and other older translations, or whether we should say he is the one and only Son of God. And of course, I tried to answer that in the previous podcast, which you can listen to. I'll link to that below. But as I was looking at the answers that people gave to that question, uh, I saw in the comments someone linked to a page on a website called gotquestions.org, and they liked the answer that they saw there. And so I looked at that answer, and something that I saw in that answer really, you know, really made me pretty angry. I, the right way to say say it would be it triggered me in the modern parlance, right? Um, and I'm not familiar with God questions as a whole. I've seen it before, I think, a few times. So I'm not, I don't want to comment on the website as a whole. I'm not doing that. What I'm talking about is this specific answer that they gave. Because their answer to the question denied that we as a believers in Christ share the same nature as God. That They say basically we do not share in the divine nature. So let me read the, the statement I'm referring to. It's in about the fourth paragraph of their answer. And again, I'll link to this below if you want to read this for yourself. The writer says, John was primarily concerned with demonstrating that Jesus is the Son of God, John 20, 31. And he uses monogenes to highlight Jesus as uniquely God's Son, sharing the same divine nature as God, as opposed to believers who are God's sons and daughters by adoption. And to support that statement, he cites Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. And I'll read that verse in the New King James Version, but in all the major versions, it'll be just about the same. That verse in the New King James says, God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So, based on this verse in the New King James and the way it's translated in other versions as well, this statement says that Jesus as a son of God is unique in the sense that only he has the divine life in nature. We're sons of God, but we're not sons of God in terms of our life in nature. We're only sons of God by virtue of the fact that we have been adopted by God. We have a different life in nature, not the divine life in nature that Jesus has. And that's what makes him God's only begotten son, or as some versions say, God's one and only son. Now, first of all, I would point out here at the outset that what actually makes Jesus God's only begotten Son or God's one and only Son is the fact that he shares in the Godhead. And as I shared in the previous podcast, if we refer to him as the only begotten Son, what we're saying is he is the one who has always been coming forth from God. From eternity past, he's been coming forth from God. There never was a time when he has not been coming forth from God. That's what makes him God's only begotten son. And no one else ever has or ever will share in that. So even today, after Jesus has passed through the process of incarnation, human living, death and resurrection, and brought forth his many brothers in resurrection, even today, in that respect, he still is God's only begotten son or God's one and only son. We have to be very clear about that. 
But what I want to focus on now is how this statement misrepresents the truth by denying that we as the believers in Christ share in the life and nature of Christ. As I say, no one else will ever share in his Godhead, but absolutely we do share in his life and nature. And to be clear, I don't really blame this website for giving that answer. The problem is so many Bible teachers and so many Christians today have this concept that we as the believers in Christ don't share in the divine nature because we're adopted by God. They really have that concept. And just seeing this answer on that website, it just kind of crystallized for me the realization this is the, the, the fundamentally wrong concept so many Christians have today because of the way this Greek word is translated by just about every single major Bible translation in English. The Greek word, and as one who doesn't know Greek myself, I'm leery of trying to pronounce it myself, but it's something like huiathesia, huiathesia, something like that. This word appears five times in the Greek New Testament, and just about every major translation translates it as adoption, based on the King James. The King James translated that way. So does Darby, Young's Literal Translation, the ASV in the older versions. In the more modern versions, the NASB, both 95 and 20, uh, ESV, NIV, the LSB, they all use this word adoption, and that is just a terrible, terrible, terrible translation of that word. And you can see the practical effect that mistranslation has because it blinds Christians concerning the real nature of our relationship with God. Well, of course, they have a reason why they translate it that way. And if you look at Thayer's Greek lexicon, it says that in secular authors, from Pindar and Herodotus down, we find this word basically used for adoption, adoption as sons. So in the secular world, yes, this word denotes adoption. And so these translations have brought that word over into the New Testament and translated it as adoption. Now, of course, in the world, adoption is a legal matter. You have to go through a legal process, and it's a big deal to adopt a child and make them your own child, legally speaking. And it's true that in the New Testament, the relationship that we have with God as sons is primarily a legal matter. It relates to the rights and responsibilities we have as those who are carrying out God's purpose. But the difference in the New Testament between from what you have in the world system of adoption is that the New Testament makes it very clear that we are also God's natural-born children. It leaves no doubt about that fact. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 are so clear. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed in his name, who were begotten, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you have been born anew with the life of Christ, that means the very life of God has entered into your being, into your spirit. John 3, 6. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The divine life, the actual life of God has entered into your being to make you one of God's children. You have a life now that you never had before because you have been born anew. That's what it means to be a child of God. It means you now have the very same life and nature that God does. 
a human child will always have the life and nature of its parents. Any child of any kind of animal is going to have the nature of its parents. And in the same way, a child of God has the nature of God. And so when one say that we're not to partake of the nature of God, you may, maybe I guess maybe Second Peter 1.4 is not in their Bible. That verse tells us explicitly, let me go back to verse 3, God's divine power has given to us all things that relate to life and godliness through the full knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and virtue, through which he has granted to us precious, even the greatest promises, that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Do you know why God gives us promises in the Bible? Do you know why he gives us all things that relate to life and godliness? It's so you can partake of his divine nature. So many Christians like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all God works all things together for good to those who love him. But go on with, to verse 29 and verse 30. What does it mean? What is the good that God is after? Eventually, verse 29 tells us that Christ might be the firstborn among many brothers. To be a brother of Christ, you have to have his life and nature. You could not be a brother of Christ without having his life and nature. Saints, the entire point of the New Testament, of the entire Bible, in fact, is that God desires to be one with man. He wants to be fully one with man. That's why he gives us his life and his nature. That's why God became a man, because he desires to be one with man. And I won't get into it too much here, but so many Christians are clear, as we should be, because it's a fundamental, foundational truth of the New Testament, that through the Incarnation, God entered into humanity. He took on the human nature. Well, that should tell us something. If God took on humanity, do you think he might also desire that humanity would take on the divine nature? That's what happened in the resurrection. Through the incarnation, God brought himself into humanity. Through the resurrection, he uplifted humanity with the divine nature in the person of Christ so that now all those who believe in Christ can share in his divine nature. That's the whole point of the New Testament. It isn't simply that our sins will be forgiven. There is so much more to the New Testament than that. So if you don't agree that we as the believers in Christ are to partake of the divine nature, then the question I would ask you is, have you thought about becoming a Muslim? Because frankly, you're halfway there already. I mean, thank the Lord, you're willing to accept the fact that God joined himself to mankind through the incarnation of Christ but you're not willing to accept the full biblical revelation that the purpose of that and the purpose of the death and resurrection of Christ was to bring humanity into divinity in terms of our nature, to make us partakers of the divine nature. You're really kind of taking, as I say, halfway the Muslim view. Their feeling is, oh, God God is so holy, he's so heavenly, he's so great and awesome and we're these poor, miserable sinners, he, he would never make himself one with man. That's why They reject the incarnation, and I'm so glad you don't do that if you're a believer in Christ. But like you, of course, they fully reject, would fully reject this notion that we are to be partakers of the divine nature. For sure they wouldn't accept that. 
And like I say, if you're not accepting that, you are halfway there yourself. And of course, my hope is, instead of becoming a Muslim, you would take the full New Testament revelation, not only that God has joined himself to humanity, but that he is bringing humanity into divinity as his goal. So that's the New Testament revelation. But you also see this very clearly in the Old Testament type of the tabernacle. And I've been sharing a little bit about this in some notes I've been sending out to my mailing list. I'll link to some of these in the program notes below. Of course, in the tabernacle, you had the ark as a type of Christ. And that ark as a type of Christ consisted of two basic materials, the wood overlaid with the gold, the wood signifying humanity as something that's organic, it comes from the earth, the gold signifying the divine nature, which is so solid and so weighty and so precious and it's unchangeable. You put these two together, that's a type of Christ. Well, that's the ark, but the boards of the tabernacle which signify the believers, have the same nature. They're also made of the wood and the gold, signifying our nature as the believers in Christ is exactly the same as the nature of Christ. Now, we don't have the inward content that Christ had. As the ark, he had the tablets of the covenant, Aaron's rod that budded, and the golden pot with the hidden manna. We don't have that kind of inward content. He has that in himself. We have this nature by deriving it from Christ. But according to that picture, we are exactly the same nature as Christ is, just as he has the wood overlaid with the gold, signifying the humanity mingled with the divine nature. We also have the human nature mingled together with the divine nature. Now, for sure, as the believers in Christ, we never partake of the person of God. That's right. For sure. That would be blasphemous. But we do partake of his life and his nature. You can't, I, th- I think a lot of Christians understand we have the divine life, but somehow uh, they're troubled when they find out we're supposed to be partaking of the divine nature because I, I think they understand inherently that means my nature is being changed. It's being uplifted. That's what God wants to do. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of his son, that we take on the same human and divine nature that he has now in glory. That's what it means to be conformed to the image of Christ. But for sure, it's right to say we never partake of his person. We never partake of the Godhead. Theologians, I'll use the, they like to say that God has certain attributes which he can communicate and some attributes which he cannot communicate to mankind, which is right. He cannot give us his omniscience. He can't give us his omnipotence. He can't give us his omnipresence. Those are things that pertain to God alone. Those are called his incommunicable attributes. But he does have attributes that he can communicate to us. His love, his holiness, his light, his kindness, his righteousness. He wants to impart all these things into our being by imparting his life into us, which is what it means to be born again. We receive a life that we never had before. And along with that life comes this divine nature that Second Peter 1.4 talks about. And that nature begin to work, begins to work in our being to uplift us, to make us, in our experience, the real children of God. And that's why you absolutely cannot use this word adoption to describe our relationship with God. Because it, you're saying there, we are not really his natural-born children. He's not really our father. We're his children only by adoption, only in a legal sense. As I say, there is a legal sense. 
to our sonship. But there's so much, we also have so much more in terms of our relationship with the Father because we are also his natural born children. And it's just a terrible tragedy that that word gets translated that way by these major versions. Now, one version that does not translate it that way is the recovery version, which was done by Witness Lee, the co-worker of Watchman Nee. That translation uses the word sonship, which is much, much better. So, for example, in Ephesians 1.5, it says, God predestined us unto sonship. That's a much, much better translation. Now, I should say, though, that a literal translation of that word, huia there in Ephesians 1.5, and as I say, it's, it's a total of five times in the New Testament, the literal meaning of that word is the placing of a son, the placing of a son. And so the best way to translate that, and this is what we're doing in the standard version, is that he predestined us to take our place as sons. That's a much, much better translation, I feel. Then you convey the fact that the sonship relates to our legal standing before God, but you don't, don't annul the fact that as children of God, we have the life relationship with our Heavenly Father. Praise the Lord for that. And so, you know, as I said, I saw this uh, statement, which is so misguided on that website, and it just triggered me because I know so many Christians have this completely and profoundly mistaken concept because of that profoundly mistaken translation of the Greek word. And so I just felt I had to uh, come on again and say something about that to try to set the record straight. So hopefully we're clear now that while we take our place legally as sons, as children of God, we absolutely do share in the life and nature of God and praise the Lord for that. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Christian Faith Radio Hour. For more resources, you can visit thechristianfaith.org, which is my website. If you'd like to receive my e-letter, just click on the subscribe link there and enter your email address. And to connect with us by email, just send us a note at notes at thechristianfaith.org. Until next time, may the Lord keep you in his way for his sake and his glory. In Jesus' name, amen.